This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 21. This is Writing Excuses, What the Avengers Did Right. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. All right, we used to do these. Uh, we've done a couple of these. It's just been a very long time. Uh, what we do is we take a, a film um, and we analyze it from a writer's perspective. This is not a review. We're not going to tell you, you know, what's <clears throat> we're not going to talk about how awesome the film is. We all know it's awesome. The point is to look at it through writer's eyes and determine what things that the film did exceptionally or, in some cases, what it might not have done as well as it could have done. But once again, not a review. All right, so The Avengers. Um, we were all very excited for this film. It came out, and it actually was good. What, in your minds, podcasters, is the primary thing The Avengers did right from a writing standpoint? I think that the way they handled an ensemble cast okay. was... Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. And, gi and, mm. and giving a wide range of people with very different power sets mm -hmm. equal opportunities to contribute. Yeah. yeah. I think the way in which the ensemble cast was handled uh, had a lot to do with uh, dialogue. Okay, um, dialogue. I like, yep. the, I like the way Joss Whedon... Uh, Whedon... Mm, Whedon. 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 Writes dialogue, um, and the the talking scenes in this movie you didn't want to miss them. It, there there were no spots where watching the film I thought, huh, well that was just you know mindless exposition. Oh, how nice of how nice of them to let her have some lines so that we're reminded that she's in the movie. There wasn't any of that. It no. was all very. Yeah, I think that the best example of this actually, or, or the one that is easiest for me to point to is um, when uh, when Phil goes to the uh, to, to visit Tony Stark and you know there's the here is the folder and that is that is the plot thing that the, the here thing is, is the folder mm -hmm. here is the folder that's the plot thing that the scene is supposed to be doing and as Phil is exiting he's he's out of focus he's mm -hmm. no longer the focus of the scene there's this background dialogue between him and Pepper in which he's talking about this cellist you know, mm -hmm. what about the cellist? Oh, she moved back to Portland. And that's really all that's there. But it gives you enough of his character that you right. feel for him later. Well, and it gives mm -hmm. her character, too. Yes. Pepper, who basically has no point in part in this movie. Mm -hmm. And yet she's better characterized than many characters who are main characters <laughs> of other films. This is yeah. true. Um, well, and, and the simple fact that Pepper and Agent Coulson knew each other yeah and mm -hmm. that they drew very subtle attention to that by having tony stark be kind of sort of jealous about it yeah mm -hmm. that suggested this is a real person he has a life outside of this scene yep. you'll <laughs> be sad later it's what we always try to phil, get people to who's do phil his first name is agent yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. is try to get people to to believe in your writing that all the characters have lives off screen yeah and one or two lines gives us all of that um i do want to mention i should have said at the start Spoilers! <laughs> you should watch this episode. In fact, we should, if we're on the ball, have given you a warning that this episode was coming so you could rewatch The Avengers. You've had a year. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to take each of these things. By the way, I'm going to throw pacing into the mm, mix as yes. something it did very well. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to talk about um, pacing, ensemble cast. We're on dialogue right now. Let's continue with the dialogue um, boat, and then we will jump and do one of these other two in depth. Um, had character voice. Yeah. I think that. Uh, with a few exceptions, 
the character voices were handled in a way that yeah. you could tell who was talking uh, just by the words that were being said. The mm -hmm. one exception is the one where uh, Thor says he's adopted. Yeah. And a lot of people have picked on that yeah. line and said, that doesn't feel very Thorish. Yeah. But the line was so perfect in mm -hmm. that scene <laughs> that I'm... I, yeah. I was totally willing. That's why it's funny. Is yes. Because yeah. it's not... You're willing... Exactly. I am willing to suspend disbelief that those words would come out of Thor's mouth <laughs> mm -hmm. because I had to hear those words come out of Thor's mouth. Uh, it, it was that good. And I think this is something... It's the sort of compromise that a good writer uh, has to be willing to make. Yeah, mm -hmm. if you want, nobody else yeah. could have delivered that joke. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so the first thing that on dialogue uh, we will say Joss Whedon did write was he gave each character individual voices and the writers. We shouldn't just say right. Joss yeah. because um, he was helped out. Um, but each of these, if you even took away the actors, as Howard is saying, you could tell who was saying these mm -hmm. lines. Um, I particularly liked how the dialogue. Um, enhanced many of the characters, such as Captain America, who is very different. And yes. in a lot of films, this character would have been marginalized uh, in some way, and yet he was able to deliver lines that would have, the others would have been ridiculous saying, but from him was... Yeah, I, yeah. I specifically yeah. wanted to call out Captain America because mm -hmm. he is so... He, 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 more than any other character in the movie, runs the risk of being very one-note. Yes. yes. You know, he's the Boy Scout who mm -hmm. is always this, and he's always this, and... You know, the movie didn't look at that as a liability. Mm -mm. It used that as, well, yay, here's a different note that we yeah. can play in our ensemble cast. And it gave him kind of the respect that it gave the rest of the characters rather than saying, oh, let's make fun of the Boy Scout. Yeah. Well, and it also, you know, he is aware that he is out of time and they keep playing that. Like, mm -hmm. um, the, the two scenes that pop into my head most are the, uh, you know, in, in the scene where he's boxing. Mm -hmm. And he's boxing in this old rundown thing, but it, it is familiar to him, but he's mm -hmm. clearly angry. Mm -hmm. And he, everybody else is like, oh, very, do not want to go do this. But he's, his thing is that mm -hmm. this is what he's for. Right. And then the other point was um, someone made a joke in one of the meetings and he's like, I got that. Yeah. Yes, that one that I got. Was, yeah. <laughs> I got that reference. And, yeah. yeah. And, and it's... It's funny, but it's also really poignant, too. It's like, oh, guy, yeah. you poor thing. Right. Well, and, yeah. and, and to talk about things doing more than one thing, yeah. one of the great moments is when it turns out that Agent Coulson is a Captain America fanboy mm -hmm. and has collected paraphernalia and, and you know old trading cards and stuff, which shows us that Captain America is uh, displaced in time. Yes. And yeah. it gives more character to this guy that we need to like. And so, you know, every little moment in the movie is like that. It's serving two or three purposes. And, and it's also planting a gun on the mantle, which they yeah. use later, which are the mm -hmm. trading cards. Yep. yep. It's also a subtle nod to uh, the culture. Uh, we, we, we've talked about this in, uh, in previous episodes. Um, when a fan comes up to you and talks to you, uh, there's... Um, there's a relationship there that's that's a little odd and a little awkward, and Agent Coulson did it did it really well. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was yeah. Um, a he, mode he shift. Engaged on yeah. a, yep. He engaged on a professional level, mm -hmm. and then said, you know, it, pardon me for you know being a fanboy. You know, would you sign my cards? Um, now let's um let's mention the dialogue in this. Um, a criticism that is sometimes leveled at Joss and at um, many writers. I'm one of them. Is that the dialogue is not realistic. And I will say the dialogue is not realistic in this film. The dialogue um, is a caricature yes. of real dialogue. Um, no. I per personally enjoy that type of thing in my media. 
Um, it's, it's why I like Oscar Wilde plays and mm. things like this. But it is something we should highlight since we're talking about the dialogue. This is not real dialogue. Yeah. Uh, people are too witty, too pithy, um, and it all falls into place in just the right way. Well, they are superheroes. They are superheroes. <laughs> yes. But conversation, <clears throat> any one of the conversations that we listened to uh, mm -hmm. in, in that film, in a real environment, real people, that number of people talking about that issue yeah. uh, would have been talking for hours. Yeah. Actually, I think probably the one that is most realistic in some ways is the one that Loki was manipulating, which is the giant argument that they are all having yeah. because they are mm -hmm. talking over each other and yes. at cross purposes. At the same time, it is also serving two functions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Or two or three. But... Let, let's do our Boy of the Week, and then we'll jump into that, because I, we'll transition to characterization of an ensemble cast. Um, Dan, Cavalier and Clay. Yeah, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon. Uh, we're looking for a good superhero story, and this is actually a uh, story that's kind of sort of a retelling, you know, inspired by the lives of uh, Schuster and Siegel, the creators of Superman. Mm -hmm. And so it's telling the early days of the comic book industry, um, in this fictionalized version, and it is fantastic. If you've never read a Michael Chabon book, he's a wonderful writer. This one in particular is fantastic. It does not have supernatural elements in it, um, but it's telling the story of these two Jewish boys in New York growing up with you know, all of the, the prejudice that they have and all of the business problems that plagued the early comic book industry, and a just fascinating book. I loved it. All right. AudiblePodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership. Pick up a copy of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon. Have it read to you in the luxury of your own car or <laughs> iPod or whatever. Or Superjet. Or Superjet. Invisible <laughs> yes. Superjet. Invisible Superjet. Uh, Wonder Woman, we're looking right at you even though we can't see you. Well, we can see her. We just can't we see just her can't see jet. jet. Okay, I need, obviously need to brush up on my DC mythos. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, we did cross the streams there, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So finish your... Oh, no, I'm done. Okay. All right. I'm way done. Uh, characterization <laughs> of an ensemble cast. Uh, what Joss does here is something that, um, that George R. R. Martin is also good at, which is a uh, large cast of characters which receive <clears throat> relatively little time and yet receive a great depth of characterization. How did the writers of Avengers do it, um, and why did it work? I would like to know that so that I can try it. Tell us, Brandon. <laughs> I, well, one, one of the first things that he does is, like we've said, first of all, every, every scene is serving more than one purpose. Yes. Uh -huh. you know? And so the first scene with Black Widow is a good example mm. because you show up and she's tied to a chair and she's seemingly being interrogated and we need to have the scene where she gets called into the team because you know, right. every, mm -hmm. every character gets called into the team. Her scene is showing her getting called into the team, but it's also showing how capable she is physically, and also how devious she is mentally. Yeah. Because by the end of the scene, we realize, oh, she's not being interrogated. She's interrogating them. Mm -hmm. You know, she's yeah. letting them monologue as villains until she has all the information she needs, and then she escapes and beats them all up and escapes. And that tells us 
she's incredibly capable and competent in these two specific areas. Yes, um, I would say that's one of the major things, doing multiple things. Letting the characters have lives off screen and in indicating them is a great way to do it. Another one is um, a lot of films will take like one character to be your growth character, mm -hmm. and that character gets a, an arc. In this book, um, at least half of them, yeah. if not all of them, had some sort of arc going on, things they wanted, reasons they couldn't have them, and ways they needed to grow as a character in order to, to obtain what they wanted. And he got those across very well in a short period of time. It was, it was very well done. You mm -hmm. see Captain America wants to be the Boy Scout, but he's having his illusion shattered. He's actually on a downward arc mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, you know, things are, things are going poorly for him. At the same time, you've got Banner at the top of his arc. He's figured things out. We get a sense that he's, you know, he's at the apex. And it, there's not a lot of motion there, but we get enough to see he has had, you know, he's, he, there's momentum mm -hmm. to all of these characters. And then you get the interaction between Black Widow and Hawkeye, that they have a past together, that there's things going on there. There's just everybody is growing and changing mm -hmm. a little bit through the course of the story. That said, um, <clears throat> I was talking with uh, Lou Anders at Deep Southcom about Avengers, uh, and he feels pretty strongly, and I agree, that per the Hollywood formula, mm -hmm. Tony Stark is our protagonist, yeah. and Loki is our antagonist, mm -hmm. and the symmetry between those two, I mean, everybody gets arcs, which is yeah. what yeah. makes the whole movie fun, mm -hmm. but the payoffs for many of those arcs all happen... You know, all happen fairly yeah. close together, and it's right there at the end, um, right there at the end where it's supposed to be. Right. So. Um, I will, if I were going to offer one criticism, this is a fantastic film, but we can analyze. I think that um, Tony Stark's uh, character arc was forced in this. Um, they had to kind of back him up a little bit from the previous films mm -hmm. and say, hey, you know, you don't know how to be a hero. You've never sacrificed anything. Looking at the previous films, I feel that that's growth he's kind mm -hmm. of had, just not done quite as well um, as in this. And then they, you know, put, push him forward to sacrificing his life, maybe, and things like that. It was a little heavy-handed for me. Yeah. Uh, the, the character that didn't work for me was Hawkeye. Mm. He felt, for me, kind of shoehorned in. We have to make him bad, because that's how he was in his first appearance in the comics. And he didn't really come together for me and seemed to be primarily there so that Black Widow could have an arc. Yeah. I will agree with you there. Of all the, the main characters, he received the least. Mm -hmm. In fact, he received he was, less than Kate Coulson did. Yeah, and, um, and he actually, a lot less than Coulson did. Mm -hmm. The one thing the movie did do well with Hawkeye, like I said, is it gave him a role in the team. Yeah. yeah. He's a sniper. Mm -hmm. We need a sniper. Yeah. Hooray. Um, I will say, yeah, giving everyone a role. And mm -hmm. we mentioned this earlier. Let's talk about varying power levels. Um, this is something that people um, in writing fantasy, um, in some cases science fiction, are going to run into. Dan, you ran into this. I mean, your protagonist is a teenage boy in some of your books. Different mm -hmm. people are going to have, you know, much stronger than him. Yeah. Um, it's very easy for some characters to get marginalized in stories like this because they aren't Iron Man. And yeah. yet, it, I, I felt all along I that, think that people are being that used. I think this film did a really good job of exploring that because, uh, you know, in many superhero films, um, you don't establish tension by putting the superheroes at risk because in one sense or another, they're indestructible. Yeah. You right. know they're going to get out of it. Um, when Black Widow is up against the Hulk, Mm -hmm. We've known since the beginning of the movie that uh, Banner and the Hulk terrify her. Yeah. Right. There, there are not many things that she is afraid of, and this is the only one that we're shown. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, and in a, uh, at, at a larger level, 
that fight is mirrored in several other places. You know, we see we see the heroes going up against each other. We see conflict in the team, and it's used, in my opinion, to explore those power levels, mm-hmm. uh, to look at who can do what. And to establish that, yeah, maybe there maybe there are some imbalances. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we want Black well, Widow to be able to play to her strengths, not to go toe to toe with heavies. Well, and that's that was, I mean, part of her arc was the if she's playing in this arena, she yeah. is going to have to go toe to toe with heavies, and mm-hmm. she's you know that is not where she's trained. Um, which which brings me around to a, a question about the Hulk as well, because. That I, I also thought that was a really fascinating pairing between mm-hmm. those two, um, and one of the things that they were doing is, of course, setting up the, the magic systems. Right. Mm-hmm. But does the Hulk have an uh, a a, um, a conflict in his magic system, which is, is he sentient? His his sudden ability <laughs> to distinguish friend yes. from yes. foe yes. in yeah. the final battle. Yeah. Yes. And and I am torn on that between thinking that that is. That is incompatible, and and also thinking that it is that they show us, they show us him making the decision to trigger the Hulk. Right, and, and is that, that enough? I think that it is a slight weakness. It is believable. Yes. To me, like when you said you started talking this, I'm like, well, he made the choice one time and he didn't the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you could very easily set up a situation that's like if if I choose to bring out the Hulk, then the Hulk is me. If I don't, then we're in trouble. But that was not set up. Well, see, yeah. I, I actually felt it wasn't explained explicitly, mm-hmm. but he shouts at her. Yeah. He accuses yeah. her of lying to him. He's injured and angry, mm-hmm. and it is her lie. You know, we're going to be okay. We're going to get out of this. Um, yeah. He, he is angry at her, uh, and so that's who he goes after. Mm-hmm. And then he gets clocked by Thor, mm-hmm. so that's who he's fighting. And then he gets shot by the jet... So that's what he goes after. Whereas mm-hmm. in the final fight, uh, he turns around and faces the biggest of the aliens and hulks out. And then Cap points him at the bad guys and says, and, and we love that moment, yes. mm-hmm. Hulk, smash. Yes, and uh, I do have to give the actor credit there mm-hmm. for being able to deliver that line earnestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, now, I yeah. want to talk about the Hulk because uh, there have been two previous Hulk movies, mm-hmm. which, while I enjoy them both, they haven't really worked. Right. And I think it's important to, sh- to say one of the reasons that the Hulk as a character worked in Avengers better than in the others is because the other movies were about repression. Mm-hmm. And in this one, we got that really wonderful moment where we finally see the Hulk as a liberation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that Bruce Banner is constantly repressing him and won't let him out. And then when he does, it's just... In the final half hour of the movie, he's everyone's favorite character mm-hmm. because there's so much wish fulfillment going yes. on. Mm-hmm. Oh, particularly his defeat of Loki. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love you know, so much. He just could. <laughs> everything he did was like, yay, I'm so glad he finally gets to let loose. Yeah. You know? You know, the, uh, the other big moment for Hulk was the side punch of Thor. <laughs> okay. And what I found so wonderful about that is that in the moment previous... Hulk and Thor are standing on the back of this flying creature, uh, beating the snot out of bad guys. And that was, for me, the only moment in the film where I started suffering from action movie fatigue. Mm. The, I, I, yeah. A little piece of my brain said, this fight's been going on a little while. I mean, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm on board with it. This fight's been going on a little... Oh, it's crashing now. 
All right, fights. Whoa, Hulk just punched, and I'm completely on board again. Yeah. And I have to think that at some point, mm -hmm. the writers or the editors said, with something carefully measured, this is action movie fatigue moment. You know, here's mm -hmm. where we need to break things up. Which is what Brandon pacing. said earlier about yeah, the pacing. pacing. The pacing, pacing in this movie is brilliant. brilliant. So good. Yep. All right, if we could just hand all of Michael Bay's movies to Joss Whedon. <laughs> Life would be wonderful. <laughs> um, we are out of time for this um, for this podcast. We hope this has been helpful to you. Does someone want to give us a writing prompt? Uh, Hulk smash. Hulk smash. <laughs> okay, now here here you go. Here you go. Write. Take 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 an ensemble. Uh, take an ensemble cast mm -hmm. um, and have them fighting each other uh, as a as a prelude to fighting what needs to be fought. Okay. This has been Right Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.